you don't have a Bible, raise your hand right now. Glenn's going to hand you a Bible as we dive into the text this morning and um, as we study God's Word and understanding the last two G's of our vision at Livingstone. If you're joining us this morning and you've not heard any of the previous Sundays, don't worry, you won't be too lost. But we do, if you're a faithful attender of Livingstone Church or a member or would like to know more about Livingstone, um, this would be a great place to begin by listening to this sermon series. Because this is our kind of our identifying marker of who we are and who God is calling us to be in this community. And so we're, the first Sunday that we talked about was the mission of Livingstone Church. The mission of Livingstone Church is pretty simple. We want to be a family of Jesus followers who lead others to follow Jesus. And on the surface, that sounds way simple. But if you go back and listen to that sermon, you might go, wow, that's a lot deeper than what we thought it was as we looked in Luke at the cost of following Jesus. And we want to make sure that when we're out there following Jesus and we're out there leading others to follow Jesus, that we're leading them to follow the true Jesus, the one and only Jesus, and not a false Jesus. Not a Jesus who says, um, everything's going to be fine and dandy once you trust me. Not a Jesus who says, I'm here to give you the Ferrari, the Porsche, the mansion. The Jesus who says, come follow me, and I will give you everything you need. I will take care of you, and I will watch over you. So we want to make sure that we're leading people to follow the true Jesus. The next Sunday, we started our vision, and the vision of Livingstone Church let me see if it's going to, there we go. The vision of Livingstone Church is we hope to see gospel saturation in the Schland Valley and beyond. Saturation is, you know, a good $5 word there. Meaning an understanding that we want the gospel to permeate, to go into every home, every neighborhood, every business in this valley so that people might be exposed to who Jesus Christ is because we are his kingdom people at work in this valley living in this valley, playing in this valley, and beyond. And we're seeing effects of the beyond portion already starting to happen. I don't know if you know, but we got several Pateras families that are making the drive this morning. So if any of you Schlanites complained about your drive, you may want to talk to some of our Pateras folks that are joining us. And God is doing a work at Pateras. And, and, and as Livingstone Church, the elders need to start a really good discussion about, okay, we got we to become helpful and become part of that work. And what's God going to do there beyond Schland Valley? And so I'm excited about that, excited to see what God is going to do, because as they are living in Pateras for the kingdom of God, guess what is happening? The gospel is saturating Pateras. Super exciting. I'm, I'm just pumped. So that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with who? Jesus. Amen. That's right. We're going to get loud this morning. All right. With Jesus in word and deed, that our words, what we're speaking, and what we're doing and living continues to reveal Jesus Christ to our neighbors, friends, coworkers, and peers. I don't know about you. That's a big vision, isn't it? A little bit overwhelming. Thank goodness we got the Holy Spirit. We have the very presence of God and dwelling us, equipping us to give us the ability to live out this vision. And I'm just getting excited about it because I think God's just, Katie, bar the door. We're going to go crazy here. We're going to have some fun. All right? Well, this morning, last week we talked about gather and go. The super important reasons we gather together. Appreciated your feedback from last week. Some people came up to me, talked to me, said, had no idea um, that gathering was so important and the reasons why. Someone said to me last week, you know, um, I understand now why I feel the way I do when I'm not regularly getting together with the body of Christ. 
I feel distant. I feel disconnected. I even start having bad thoughts about other Christians in the church body just because I'm not spending time with them. And so, man, it is super important to gather together. You know, Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints. So really important, regularly gathering together as a body of believers to glorify God. We hope that on our Sunday mornings, you leave here encouraged, you leave here convicted, and you get a reminder of the mission that Christ has sent you on so that we get built up and sent out. That's why we get together every Sunday, to get built up and sent out, so we can get built up and sent out. We're gathering and we're going, right? Well, there's two other Gs that were looked to be vital in our living out this vision and living out this mission, and that is giving and growing. Thank you so much, Casper, for reading for us this morning. Outstanding job. As we look at giving this morning, I first must confess to my church family. I've been in Pastor Livingstone now for four and a half years. I have intentionally avoided this topic. I have been scared to address it. I have heard the comments from people who visited churches or or, or, or disenfranchised with the church, and they, they made statements that, why is it every Sunday I go to church, I hear about giving and money and tithe? Don't you guys talk about anything else? And so I've been very apprehensive to talk about the subject of giving. But I have been very convicted this week as I have studied about giving, and God has blown my mind on what it means to have a heart of a giver, to be giving A new Christian and I were talking, new to the faith. He asked me point blank, he said, why do they pass the bucket? Why do they pass the plate during the service? I don't understand that. I see people put stuff in, but is it, you know, what's the deal? If, if you're a member, you're supposed to give, or, or if you've attended so many Sundays, you're supposed to give. What is the deal with giving? I don't understand this. And I was so convicted in my heart because I began to realize I come from 35 years of being a Christian. I've attended gatherings since I was in a, I'm pretty sure I was in the nursery at the church there in Carroll, Nebraska, okay? And before that, Broken Bow, Nebraska. And I failed to realize that there are people who do not understand why we give. And by not talking about this subject, by not addressing it, I'm hurting their opportunity to grow in the Lord and understand why this is so vital and important. And so I'm actually hurting people's faith because of my fear. And so I'm sorry. I apologize to you this morning for not addressing this sooner. You see, this is a glorious and a beautiful thing to talk about. And it is not something that should be addressed with fear or with trepidation in your heart, but rather with excitement and joy. This woman... This woman that comes and gives. Notice what Jesus says about her. Talks about those who are rich. He says, for they all contributed out of abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And I want to be very clear on the outset when we talk about giving. Giving. When we talk about it and when we think about giving, oftentimes, how many, what's the first thing we think about giving? 
Money, money, 10%, right? Money, you're giving cash, dinero, moolah, checks, right? Coming out of the bank account. That's the first thing we think about giving. While giving money is part of giving, it is not the entirety of giving. It's not the full understanding of giving. It's a portion of it, but not all of it. And I'm gonna, you're going to hear me say that several times this morning because I want to really ingrain this in your minds. Is that when we give of our tithes and we give of our money, we give of our money, we understand we're giving to God's work, but that is not all God is asking of us. And we're, as we dive into this, we'll see why more here in a minute. But when this woman is giving of her money, it's more than just money. She is giving everything she has. Notice that Jesus says, and she kept back for food for tomorrow. We don't read that. We read that this woman at this moment, when she gave of that, she became completely dependent on God for her very next meal. But it was very clear the way God praises her that God laid upon her heart to give. Now, what's very interesting to me is, is, is the picture of what's taking place here. Jesus is watching people give. How would you like that? Jesus physically present as the bucket goes by. And he's just watching it go by. Jesus is watching them give. But what we fail to understand, that guess who is watching it as it goes by? Just saying. Just because we can't see him, he sees us all times. So giving. Well, we're called to give in Scripture. Whoa, that jumped. Is that because we're fixing a slide? Maybe. All right. Um, we're called to give. Matthew 24, 45 to 51. And Matthew 25, 14 to 30. These are two parables that Jesus tells his disciples. In Matthew 24, to 45 to 51, when we read that passage, we discover God has called us to be stewards of his household. We are servants in the household of God, and it's all his. We're living in his house. We're driving his car. We're eating his food. We're paying bills with his money. It's this understanding that all that we have is his, and we're to properly be stewarding it. And, and God is in the business of giving away everything he has. We have a generous God. And he's in the business of giving. And so we, as his people, as Jesus' followers, we're to have that same mindset and that same mentality, more prone to give than to withhold, more excited to give than to, to keep back for ourselves. I wonder... If we did a secret survey and had you all fill out a little questionnaire, if we, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, are you more excited to pay off a debt than to give to God's work? Are we more excited to buy a car than to see Kids Rock having enough money for all those kids to come? This woman gives out of everything that she has. I'm going to see if I can go. Nope. Okay. It's just going to be that way. All right. Matthew 25. Oh, go back with slide, please. Um, Matthew 25, 14 to 30 talks about the talents that the master goes away. That before he goes away, he gives three servants three different amounts of money. One five talents, one three talents, one one talent. And to the guy he gives free, he multiplies it. To the guy he gives or five, he multiplies it. Three, multiplies it. The one he goes and hides underneath a rock. To the two servants, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been given to much will be given to you. To the guy who takes one and he buries it underneath the rock, what does he say to him? You wicked and faithless servant. 
We need to understand that all we have is God. The scripture is clear about it, crystal clear. And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you can turn there or just listen. Corinthians is found in the middle of your Bible. Not only have we been called to give, but we, we're also giving the answer to what we are to give as well. But in the call to give, in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 19 through 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. If you've got a pen and you're okay with writing in your Bible, I want you to underline that two or three times. I want you to circle that. And dispel any understanding that if you are a child of God, you've been bought with a price, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. What was that price? That price was the Son of God becoming Jesus Christ, God incarnate, walking the perfect life upon this earth, going to die upon the cross for us, for those who would call upon him as their children, and rise again from the grave. He ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, continuing to intercede on our behalf. That's the price that we have been bought with. That is your worth. Christ just gives you an incredible worth, and he takes us from rags to riches, baby, while he goes from riches to rags. He goes from being the Son of God in heaven with the Father to becoming God incarnate, being subject to humanity, the thing that he created. He becomes poor so that we can have the greatest wealth ever ascribed to us. And that wealth is not, and when we begin to think about that wealth, it's not a monetary, it is, but it isn't. It's, it's all part of the spiritual wealth, the spiritual blessing to us. It means that everything that we have, our bodies itself, are all his. And so that we may glorify God in our bodies. And that everything we do can be glory to God. Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what we get to do. It's, it's our response to what Christ has done for us. And so we go back to our mission and vision. Brothers and sisters, this is our driving point as the body of believers. We're going to go back to the mission. What does the mission statement say? We are Jesus followers, right? In order for us to understand, quickly understand giving, we got to understand what Jesus gave for us. Jesus gave everything for us. He kept nothing back. And so if we're to follow that Jesus, guess what that means to us? It's all his. It's all his. It's, praise be to God, it's all his. I've been bought with this price, and so I get to live in light of what he's done. It's all his. What is it that's his? Great question. Glad you asked. What do we are to give? I think so many times when we talk about giving, and the reason I was so scared to talk about it with you guys is we think about money, and people are very in tune with, with money nowadays, with how much they have, how much they don't have, how much they want. But when we talk about you have been bought with a price, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. If you want to turn there, you can. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 9, 8 and 9. Oops, did we jump ahead of slide? No, we, yeah. 
We are to understand that verse, 2 Corinthians verse eight, chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What is it we're to give? Everything. Time, talents, resources, everything. Our bodies, our health. It's all God's. It's all God's. But the problem is, in today's church, because, and I grew up with this, and I know most of you, if you grew up in the church, you grew up with this understanding. We grew up with this tithe mentality of giving. That has hurt us, and I would like to talk to you about, I know seven points is a lot, but I'd like to share seven reasons why the tithe mentality has hurt us in understanding about giving. The first reason that it hurts us is, first of all, we fail to understand that tithing was a part of the law of Moses. We're not underneath the law of Moses, but underneath the law of Christ. You see, the Israelites were part of a theocracy. And underneath that theocracy, they were commanded to support, they were commanded to support the temple, they were commanded to support the Levites, and they were commanded to support the king, who was appointed by God. So if you think that tithing is tough or, or giving is tough, back in the Israelite days, every year it was at least 20%, and every three years was 30% given to the temple and the Levites. We are not underneath that involuntary tax support to the Israel anymore. Tithing is not mentioned, you need to know this as well, in any of the instructions to the church, although much is said about giving. Great commentary writer writes this. He says, Hawthorne writes, since the tithe played such an important part in the Old Testament and in Judaism contemporary with early Christianity, it is surprising to discover that never once, check me on it, never once, is tithing mentioned in any instructions given to the church? But since you were a little kid, what have you heard? Tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. Tithes, are you paying your tithes? But that instruction was never given to the church. Well, what do we learn? Jesus mentioned scribes and Pharisees who tithe, but he never commanded his disciples to tithe. At this point, Paul back there is cringing. <laughs> the writer to the Hebrews refers to Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek and Levi paying tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham. But he never taught his readers to follow their example. Paul writes about sharing material possessions to care for the needs of the poor and to sustain the Christian ministry. He urges and commends generosity, but never once does he demand as a command from God that any specific amount be given. What is, it, what is it we're supposed to gain and understand? We're supposed to understand that everything we have is God's, right? It's all his. I'm going to keep going here. This is really important too. Tithing is not mentioned in any of the writings of the early church fathers. Now, let me tell you something. There were some faithful, wonderful, God-fearing men that desired to pursue God. And desire to be obedient to him. And if they're not writing it as set as establishing the early church, anything about tithes, that ought to catch our attention. Tithing also puts the wrong emphasis on giving. 
Tithing emphasizes your obligation to God. New Testament giving, as we shall see, emphasizes your willing, loving response to who? God's grace. Furthermore, tithing limits giving by making a person feel that he has paid his dues, so to speak, and that nothing more is required, when in fact much more could be done. Tithing has a tendency to put a person on a legal basis with God rather than on a love relationship. It's the wrong emphasis. When we write that check and we put 10% on it in there and we stick it in the bucket or stick it in the offering plate, when it comes by, we're like, whoosh, I'm done with God. I've given as much as I'm required, God. You got my 10%. Now I don't have to do anymore. Sweet. If the rest is mine. No, wait a minute. Er, wrong answer. Back that truck up. You've got to understand everything is God's. So if the Holy Spirit lays on our hearts to give more, we don't say, but I gave my 10%, God. I put my check. Didn't you see? The rest mine, right? No, he says, it's all mine. And if I call you to give more, you give more. Tithing leads to a false concept of stewardship. It leads to the notion that 10% is God's money and 90% is my money. In reality, 100% is God's money. And he may want me to channel 90% into his work and live on 10%. Tithing can be a rut. The woman who approaches the offering box in the back of the temple was not worried about 10%. She was responding to the understanding God has given her everything she has and her response at that time that God laid upon her heart was to give it all back. I feel like this Sunday is just a kind of a big confessional Sunday for me as God has done a powerful work on my heart this week in understanding this. We, Christy and I, have <clears throat> changed roles a little bit ever since I went on my deployment. Christy took over the finances and the books and um, I never had taken them back and she needed a little bit of a break from some of the, some of the things, and so I said, "Hey, I can I can do I, I can add numbers and subtract numbers. I'm I'm okay with that." Um, and so she, we've switched roles, and so we were we were doing a check on just our budget. We were going through it all together. We were looking at what we were giving to God, and um, I said to her, "Well, let's check it out. Let's check it out. Let's let's take our, our salary and let's take our, our our what we're giving, and and let's make sure we're meeting our quota." God forgive me. He doesn't want a quota. He wants me to understand it's all his. And that when he says, and he lays upon my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me, you need to give more. He wants me to respond by giving. But that, oh, how am I doing with God? Like I'm going to earn some right standing with God. I don't know if that's where you've been at in your understanding, but this has been mind-blowing to me. This understanding that God, and it's not just money, it's my time. That when I look at my week, do I, do I, do I, am, I, am I being intentional in my week? Or if I put so much stuff in my week, I've left no room for God. 
I left no room for God to work. I left no room for God to move. And I crowded and filled my schedule with so much. I'm so exhausted that every single day, I've got nothing left for God. I've got nothing left for his church. I've got nothing left for my community. See, my time is valuable to God. It's something I'm supposed to give unto God. That time is not mine. It's his. My, my talents. Do you know, guys, our power tools can glorify God, and it's something that we need to give of ourselves to God. When my neighbor comes over and asks me for a tool, knowing full well I may not see that tool for a month or two, that's God's. It's not mine. Well, the fact that maybe some people in here like to crochet or knit, and we're like, well, that's just my hobby. It's, you know, it's just something I enjoy. Do you know you can use that for the glory of God and be a blessing to others? You see, God wants us to understand the idea and the concept of giving is everything because it's all his. You've been bought with a price. We are not our own. We're his. What are, what are we giving to him? Are we just giving him the leftover crumbs at the end of the day or at the end of the table? Or, well, God, I'll give you a nod at the end of the night. I'll pray a little prayer to you. Are we giving to him that this idea and this attitude of our heart that this woman had? She comes and she gives everything. She just can't help herself. She's in love with God. And she sees that everything she has is from God. So she's giving back. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 6, the, the prayer of the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus says, pray this way. Give me my daily bread. But for some reason, we don't trust God because we honestly struggle with the idea that God is good. And, and, our, and our struggle with God is good. We have to keep back something for ourselves because God is going to fail me. God is going to let me down. And so when the Holy Spirit moves on my heart to give more of my time and more of my talents and more of my resources that I'm not going to do that because I've got to protect myself because God really isn't as big as he said he is or as good as he said he is, and so I'm going to protect me. And we worship ourselves instead of the one true God. Brothers and sisters, I'm in this with you, and I'm struggling to live this way. And thank goodness for the grace of God. Some of you here this morning may have said, I never knew that. I never knew that was this perspective I was supposed to have on giving. The greatest thing about our God is he stands ready to forgive us. He stands ready to go, you know what? It's under the blood. Get back at it and learn and grow. And we are excited to trust in our God who is a gracious and forgiving and a loving God. One of the Gentlemen, as I was looking into this topic, he's a pastor in Scottsdale, and I kind of appreciated that, kind of a small church pastor. He made the statement in regards to giving that he would rather a person, as they're growing in their understanding of giving, as they're growing in understanding of what God wants for them in giving, to give what they can give with a cheerful heart. And then as they realize how much of a joyful exercise it is to give, then they give out of that abundance of heart versus writing that check or giving of their time or giving of their talents with anger or frustration in their lives. 
The greatest thing about it is the more we give of ourselves and, and, and understand that it's all God's, the more we give, the more joyful we get. And it's no longer this feeling of, oh, I got to go do this again. I got to go serve this person. I got to give of, oh, I got to write that tie check. Such a chore. You know, and instead of realizing, going, man, God, you have given me this, and I got to give this back to you to your kingdom work. And that's something important to understand. When we give of our time, talents, and resources, it's not to an institution, and it's not to a ministry. It's to the kingdom work of God. Because institutions will fail, will stop, will cease to exist. Ministries will stop. We're in the business of doing ministries, and they may work for a time, and if they don't work for a time, then we swift and go over here. We do this ministry. Ministries are going to change up. But the kingdom work of God will continue forever. And so when you're giving of your time, talents, and resources, give it to the kingdom work of God, not to Livingstone Church, not to Kids Rock, not to Kidville, not to the kitchen ministry or the mercy ministry. Give it unto the kingdom of God and understand what I'm doing is benefiting the universal church of God. We get to engage in that. We get to do that for God. And it's giving unto that work with that mentality. I can only imagine where Jared would be if Jared was like, I'm just giving to Valley Community Church. And when Valley Community Church ceased to exist, Jared goes, I'm done giving. This failed. Praise be to God. His heart, his passion is for the kingdom work of God. And I can't wait for him to share it with you. Brothers and sisters, we're called to be a giving people, a generous people. It's, way, it's one of the ways in which this world knows that the kingdom has come and Jesus Christ is reigning. It's by our generous hearts. And it's way bigger than just money, although money is a part of it. The second thing I wanted to talk with you about this morning, and again, we're unpacking a lot together, just like last week. Um, the second piece is a grow. And we have a, a verse that you see on our letterhead. You have a, we have a verse that you see on our website that is kind of a verse we just is kind of our talks about our history of our church family as well as the future and what God wants us to be um, and combines all elements. And that's found in First Peter chapter two verses four and five. And again, I encourage you to turn there. First um, Peter is towards the very back of your Bible. Revelations, Jude, First, Second, Third John, First, Second Peter, and so work your way back towards the front and you'll run into First Peter chapter two. If you hit James, you've gone too far, come back a book. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. We want to give opportunities in this church body to grow because we see God has called us to be people who grow up in him. I cannot emphasize enough this idea of growth is part of the church body and church family. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Not, if you're sitting here this morning, and you are a child of God, you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have surrendered your sin to him, and want him as king as your Lord in life, guess what? You're chosen and you're precious. To the one who matters most, our God and King. Just think about that for a second. You are chosen and you are precious to our God. 
as you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read from Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. If you've got a pen, write that down. I'm not going to give you enough time to turn there to read it. But um, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This idea to grow is a corporate understanding of growth. Now, individually, we are responsible to our obedience to God and to grow Him, but that individual growth is not separate from or isolated from the growth of the church body. There are a couple elements that I want to talk about. Oops. One more. Of growth. Okay? Four things, and I would love for you to write these down and wrestle with them later. As we see in both Second or First Peter 2, and as we see in Ephesians chapter 4, that we know that our spiritual growth is not a private matter. I'm going to repeat that. Our spiritual growth is not a private matter. Which runs completely contrary to everything I believe our world is teaching us today. Your life is your own. Your growth is your own. Your da, 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 that's all your own. But in the church family, we understand a different thing. We understand that God is trying to build us up into a spiritual house. And our spiritual growth, my spiritual growth, is not a private matter. You know what happens to pastors whose spiritual growth are private matters? They end up in sin, and they end up being disqualified for ministry. Pastors, of all people, need accountability and people speaking into their lives and challenging them to walk the path and be obedient to God. But guess what? Pastors aren't alone. You need that as well. Your spiritual growth is not a private matter. Imagine, if you will, a wall being built upon, you know, this, this rock building being built up into a house. How many of you all seen those, like in the store, those sponges that look like stones? I've, how many of you have had them thrown at you and you ducked? <laughs> Mike, seriously? Okay. Bad element. I was hanging out with his kids. Okay, anyways. Um, or was that adults? Never mind. Um, so they've got these sponges, and they look just like a rock. And could you imagine somebody putting on the airs and the appearance of a really strong Christian? They, they, they talk the talk. They walked the walk, and they, they, they talked about, oh, I read my Bible this morning, and I exegeted this passage, and I've come to understand it to mean this. You're like, whoa, you know a lot. That's cool. And, and you know, you're like, and they, they're out in front of the public. They, they do the right things. They say the right things. But in their private life, they're a mess, and they're filled with sin and unrepentance, and they're hiding their sin from people. And, and, and they're just soft and they're weak and they're squishy because they're not upon the solid rock of jesus christ and imagine putting them as a base block on that wall and you begin to build up and as soon as you're two stones up that sponge just collapses and that wall breaks down the whole wall fails because somebody was not willing to be repentant 
and confessing their sins and live their spiritual growth out in community. These letters were written to the church so that they could grow up and it would be a body. Look at that Ephesians 4. From the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Our athletes in this room know that when one joint is weak, we lose the ability to play the best. We lose the ability to go hard because when a joint is weak, it is continuing to give out on us. Well, guess what? I'm not the whole body. I'm a small portion of the body. I'm relying on the whole body of Christ to be strong together so we can go and be on mission for God together. But when one of us is weak, when one of us fails to recognize that our spiritual life is not a private matter, we are weak together. It affects the whole body. It affects the whole wall. It affects the whole building. The second thing I want us to understand is that the spiritual growth is a continual work. We are being built up. This work is still being done. So guess what it means? We got to be patient with each other. We cannot put each other on our timelines. I don't get to, to turn to, to Glenn and say, I really wish Glenn would get this spiritual truth in his life, and then we could have real conversations. No, the Holy Spirit's got to work in his life. He's got to, the Holy Spirit's got to change his heart. And my job is to pray for him and, 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 and be there for him and talk with him. And, and, and when he starts going off the deep end, to say, hey, man, and he does the same doggone thing for me. And we have this relationship together that, that grows us up and it's continually working on us. He is forming us. He is shaping us to put us right where he needs us in this wall. And, but we need to wait upon each other. We need to be patient with each other. We need to be part of each other's lives. We don't need to get frustrated with each other and give up on one another and become impatient with each other. Let me tell you something. When we become impatient with each other, we fail how much God is patient with us. And God is super patient with us. We have to give each other the time, pray for one another, be a part of each other's lives. Could you just imagine Jesus with <laughs> Simon the Zealot? I mean, we don't get it. So, so Zealot and back in the day, his solution was, I'm going to bring out the kingdom of heaven with my sword. So I'm pretty sure hot-tempered, like trying to take people on in arguments to get them to draw their sword to like duke it out. Jesus not only like deals with this guy, he invites him in to be one of his disciples. And then you got Matthew, the tax collector, who the zealots hated the, the, anybody that befriended the Romans or did anything for the Romans. And could you imagine the discussions, the arguments, the fights that would have gone around the campfire with Jesus at night? And Jesus is so patient with him because he's like, someday, gentlemen, someday, and that time is not yet, but someday God is going to do an amazing work through you and you're going to carry the gospel to the nations. But in order for you to carry the gospel to the nations, I got to be patient with you right now. and We got to have this conversation again. And you're going to need to forgive each other again. And you're going to need to repent again. And when God sends them out, he sends them out two by two. We read in Mark, he sends them out in two, two groups of two. He doesn't send them out individually and by themselves. He sends them out together in groups. Continually at work within us. So that his work might be done through us. Third point is all of life is worship. Now, you may say, how is that important to my understanding of spiritual growth? The more we grow in the Lord, the more we understand that everything we do matters. How we perceive 
our time matters. Those stolen away moments, and I don't mean to be gross here, but it's kind of funny. Stolen away moments on the toilet, right? That you're escaping from the kids, and you may not even be sitting on the toilet, but the lid's down, and you're just, <laughs> right? Door shut. Those moments, and those moments, are we thinking about glorifying God? Are those moments we're thinking about what it is? I'm going to get out of here, and I need to go back and re-engage my family, and I want to worship and glorify my God. It's seeing those moments and seizing those moments for God. Are we constantly, okay, my car just broke down, and, and I got, oh, Lord, I don't know. I've got to get somewhere. i got an appointment, and I have to break this appointment. This, my car broke down. Instead of fussing and fretting about our calendar, do we stop and go, Lord, show me how to see and seize this moment for worship so I can worship you in this moment? I don't need to be fretting and worrying. And, and, and what's really cool is when people are around us and with us, they're going, hey, yeah, it stinks. We're stuck in the middle of nowhere, but hey, Let's praise God. Let's be like Paul and Silas in the jail, and they're, they're, they're getting beaten, punished, and they're in jail, and, and, and there's an earthquake, but they're just singing praises to God. They're seeing a moment to seize a moment, and people's lives get changed when we see moments and seize them for worship. See, spiritual growth, the more we grow up in the Lord, the more we see those opportunities, the more we're going to see this, seize them for worship. I want you guys to see and seize moments for worship. It's part of our spiritual growth development. We must, and fourth point underneath these elements of growth, we must be a holy people set apart for God's work. He wants us to stop sinning. No more than that, he wants us to hate sin. He wants us to develop the same attitude towards sin and act of rebellion that he has. He wants us to abhor it, not just to stop doing it. He wants us to have a heart that yearns and desires to please him in every way and to not be distracted or pulled away from what the world offers. So, at Livingstone Church, we want to intentionally create something that is going to cause spiritual growth. It's pretty bad. If we as leaders say, go grow, but we don't give you an opportunity to grow and an opportunity to do this well, an opportunity to live out Ephesians 4, to live out 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. And there's a lot of ways to do church, and, and, and there's a lot of different ways and ideas out there, understanding. But we here at Livingstone, we really see the need that we need to create opportunities to live life together this way. And some people call them small groups in churches. Some people call them other things. For we, they're, they're specifically called life groups because they come with this idea and then understand is that we live life on life together. That when I'm having that moment of non-worship, somebody is there to say, Scott, you need to confess that to the Lord. I draw into him to worship him. So that when... I was presented with this wonderful opportunity um, to go and build three, two more cars, two more cars. Um, uh, it was, uh, uh, and, and I was really excited about it, and Christy was getting really excited about it. And we went to our life group, and, and I asked our life group, I need you guys to, to think about this. And it was awesome because I started getting pelted with questions. Right? Glenn, Robert, Darren. You know, we're all just like asking me all these great questions about this and, and doing this. And, and I don't remember who said it, but one of their questions 
pierced me to the heart. We're like, well, with your plan and the mission for your family to be worshipful and ministers of, of God, and how does that fit within that plan and that scope? And one of the things that Christy and I had said is that getting out of debt needs to happen in order for us to not be tied down to the jobs and stuff like that so she could work less. And here I was going to sink us into more debt with more debt down the road. So I turned it down. And that was a hard phone call to make. I wanted to do it. I mean, this is like, I forget what it's called, but, but it was just a cute little car, right? One of them was a Super Beetle. The other one was this little cute little car, VW car. And I was like, that'd be so cool. I could see Christy rip around town in that. It's like, oh. But you know what? If God wants that to happen later on in life, he'll provide another opportunity. But right now, the answer is no. And God used my life group. God used those people reminding me that my spiritual growth is not private, my, that God is continually at work in me, and that all of life is worship, and I must be worshiping God with my finances as well, and then I got to be a holy person set apart with God, not sucked into the things and the material possessions of this world, but focused on the mission for God, because eternity is what matters. But that kind of accountability didn't just happen. It has to be intentionally sought out. You have to intentionally open your life to someone else for that to start taking place. But it's vital in your growth with God. Because when we, desire, when we come up with reasons why not to draw into one together, we start finding pockets of, of areas of our life that we haven't surrendered to God. Because we're like, I can't do that because I got this, I got that, I got that. But God's saying, I want you to be in community with one another. I want you to live life in community with each other. And Jesus is the one that's calling us out to do this. This is Jesus who's saying, I want you to spend time. I want you to grow up into one body together and function well together. And so that's how, you know, we do it. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I want to know more, fantastic. We'd love to talk with you. If you're sitting here this morning, I'm not ready for that. Fantastic. We want to give you more opportunities to do that, to learn about it and grow in it. But this is the catch. God is doing some amazing work in those life groups. People's lives are getting changed and challenged by, by God, by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start putting display those stories on display because we want you to be encouraged by what God is doing in, in our midst. And one of the challenges that I was faced with when we were looking at our life groups was, was some people, you know, came forward and said, you know, it feels really clickish. And, and I hear that comment and I hear that statement that they can become clickish if they're not held in check. But this is the deal is what is our mission statement? We're Jesus followers who lead others to follow Jesus. So that same mission statement is what applies to Kidville, what applies to Kids Rock, what applies to our, to our life group ministry is that we see that every life group needs to be following Jesus and leading others to follow Jesus. So our rallying point is Jesus Christ. And when we have an opportunity to honor Jesus Christ and to praise his name, we want to do it. And hopefully all the saints will go, amen, God is so good. And I'm so glad he's doing that through you guys. God is at work. You encouraged my heart. One of my favorite things to do is gather with people during the week and, and meet them for the first time and hear their stories. Because I get another example of how God is at work in a unique way in somebody else's life, and it just encourages me. You know what the really cool thing is? I don't have to be a part of that work to feel significant, to feel important, 
I can rejoice in my God is doing that. I just get to hear what God's doing and be encouraged by what God's work. I think with small groups and, and sometimes with life groups is that the fact that when we see these things taking place, people are like, they get maybe envious or jealous. Well, I didn't get to be, I wasn't included in that. I wasn't part of that. And, 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 and when they see that and they hear that, they say that, then they're like, wait a minute, you're completely missing what God did. This isn't about us. This is about his work and what he is doing. And let's join in the work together. But we can do way more in smaller group settings than we can trying to gather the whole church body every single time to go do something. And then could you imagine, oh, we got to call it off because everybody can't be present. We'll get nothing done. But in smaller group settings, we can gather together and be involved in this ministry, involved in that ministry, holding each other accountable, and then gathering together on, on Sundays and together rejoicing in what God has done. Because it's for his glory. We live for his glory. All of life matters to him. And what's really cool, and I know parents with kids, I want you to understand this. What's really cool is you will train up your children with the knowledge and the understanding of what it is to live life with each other. To watch, they'll watch you confess with other people. They'll watch you work through hard times. There has been some, some fire in our life group. I mean, somebody will say something, and somebody will say something else. Well, all the guys, we do this, right? And the gals just lean in, right? And, and, and the, the kids are watching this going like, ooh, how's this going to go? And then God just invades, and he works it out, and people seem to, okay, we can work through this together. And, and our kids grow up in understanding because, because of Christ's presence in our lives, Arguments and disagreements don't need to destroy and divide. And we also get to celebrate together that, that birthdays and, and that anniversaries and then that, that job promotion or, hey, that work and less. We're all celebrating that together going, thank you, God, for what you're doing. And we get to be celebrating it in each other's lives. We get to play together. We get to, it's just, it's amazing what gets to happen. And so... I think we'd be really remiss as a body of believers to not present that opportunity to this church body and say, give it a try. Just give it a try. And, and you know what it looks like? And people are like, oh, it's this huge thing and this big debacle. And I know I've gone long this morning, but it's real important I make this clear. What it looks like initially is it's getting together to break bread and fellowship. That's where it begins. It's not a... Massive discourse on, on, on somebody's theological doctrine, okay? It's just literally getting together and becoming part of each other's lives. And regularly. Because like we learned last week, when we don't regularly gather, we start to have distance, we start to have questions, we start to have breakdown of unity regularly. Now, whether that's once a week, whether that's once every other week, I wouldn't go beyond once every other week. I really wouldn't because, again, those, the, the, you lose touch. And what's been interesting is people who've met every other week, it's been funny, is they're like, man, i got to spend more time. I, I miss them too much, and we got to spend more time together. we got, we got to get together more regularly. And, and so that's what it begins to look like. And so it's not this huge, overweight, overbearing thing, but we're more than happy to help link people up. But we want this also to happen organically, because we think hanging out with people that you're like, hey, we enjoy hanging out with. But we also understand, I don't like anybody in my group, so I'm not going to, you know, What? I mean, if Jesus would have held out that criteria, I'm sure Jesus, he's holy, he's perfect, right? He looked around that group saying, this is a tough group of guys. But what he did, what 
and what God did in their lives is just amazing. And sometimes it's that spiritual sandpaper that makes us, us, more holy. We don't see this as dividing the body. We see this as multiplying the body for kingdom work. We see this as a multiplication thing. Because as these smaller groups go out and get involved in this community and serve God, the kingdom's put on display more and more and more. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We give of ourselves because God gave fully of himself. And we desire to grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we want to do that in settings that hold us accountable, that gives us opportunity to rejoice in what he is doing, and lifts each other up. So that we can be Jesus' followers who lead others to follow Jesus. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy you bestow on us. Lord God, I know this morning was a lot of information. Lord, I pray that as we digest it over this week, your Holy Spirit would powerfully come back and make us revisit this over and over again. And you would lead us to draw into each other, draw into our proper understanding of giving of our lives to you. Lord, we are not our own. We are yours, and we praise you for that. We don't sing your praises with reluctance, but with great joy. And Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to study together and learn together. We pray for the coming Christmas season. Lord God, that this season would be filled with joy and hope and, and, and sharing you in our lives and together and, and great celebrations taking place. And Lord God, we'd be very much aware of those who are hurting, those who will spend the holidays without loved ones, those who are sick, those who are in need, Lord God, may we be very aware of our call as your kingdom people to be in their lives and sharing our lives with them. May our children watch us worship you and glorify you in all areas of our life. In Jesus' most holy name we pray, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.